Hello, everybody. Man, it is good to be back. I know from your end, uh, I haven't gone anywhere. I've been uploading videos every week. But uh, on my end, I actually recorded a bunch of those um, in advance because I've been working on a new documentary film, and uh, it's it's going to be pretty phenomenal. I probably shouldn't say too much about that until it's out, but it has to do with the recent alien uh, UFO disclosure kind of stuff, what's, what's happening, and uh, kind of how to think about these things from a Christian perspective. We've got some amazing guests. I'll talk more about that as time progresses. It should be out later this year, but uh, the past couple months or so, I've been uh, recording interviews for that, so I've uh, I recorded a bunch of episodes of this show uh, and my other so show, so you know JPD Weekly and the Sharpening Report um, to uh, to get through that time that I knew I was going to be away. So uh, from your perspective, I haven't gone anywhere. From mine, I have, and uh, it's good to be back. So uh, today, I wanted to talk about um, this idea within uh, New Age theology about God being an impersonal force. And I think sometimes we as Christians inadvertently treat God that way. Sometimes uh, we don't mean to do it. Uh, and, and we know logically God is personal. He's a personal God, but there are times uh, weaker Christians or maybe more immature Christians. And I don't mean that as an insult. We're all on varying you know, levels of maturity uh, within our, our walk with God and we're all brothers and sisters. So it's not a derogatory thing. But um, but I, I I remember myself as a kid uh, and and even as a young adult before I, I I really started taking this stuff seriously and studying and and learning about God from the scriptures instead of from my own you know ideas or my own philosophy or my own logic uh, I I remember thinking of God more as kind of um, almost like a process or like almost like um, if I do this then this will happen. God will do this. Almost like it's, um, you know, action and reaction kind of thing. Uh, you, you know, if, if, um, Trying to think of an example. Well, well, actually, one one example of this is uh, I, I have a rare degenerative bone disease, and for years I prayed for God to heal that, uh, and He He never did. And I, I I would go to these churches at that time that would tell me, um, well, if you do this or that, then God will heal heal you. Like, like they're making promises for God. Like there's no reality where God just won't heal somebody. That was like their, kind of their um, view of it. And so that's almost treating God like a force, like, like, like something that you can do, you can interact with in some way and then get your desired result out of it. So, and, and I'm sure all of us as Christians, we can think back at times that we've prayed for something and we thought, well, maybe if I ask this way, or maybe if I pray, as if God doesn't know our heart intimately and already know. Um, sometimes, sometimes God just doesn't do something. Sometimes uh, we can pray and he'll answer and the answer is no, and that's okay. He's got his own reasons for that. And I know that there are people that... Um, will say, well, well, no, it's, you know, it's, God will heal you. You're just, you just have to do A, B, or C, or you have to say it in this way, or you have to quit calling it your disease. You know, you, you can't own it. You got to, all of these things, you have to cast it out in the name of Jesus, you know. Um, but there's biblical precedent for the fact that just sometimes God doesn't, doesn't heal, uh, at least not in this physical life. 
We know that from Paul's own writings. He said that he had some thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what that is. There's different ideas about it, but he prayed to God to take it away. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And what actually ended up happening through that is um, God's strength was shown in Paul's weakness. So it was actually better that whatever that affliction Paul had, it was better that he continue to have it because God's strength was made manifest in his weakness and also uh, it helped keep Paul from becoming prideful. And so all of that is is laid out in scripture. And and when I can look back uh, on my life with with uh, with with my bone disease, it, it's kind of the same deal. There's a lot of that that um, uh, where where I can see it's kept me humble. And there also have been times where God's strength is made manifest um, through you know my weakness. Without all, all the credit goes to God on that. So. Um, a lot of people that see me online or see my videos, they wouldn't even, uh, you know, unless it was just from me talking about it, but they wouldn't know about like my chronic pain issues, just constant chronic pain. Um, now, none of the, I, I don't get to like show off about that because me just on my own, I, I know how I am with, uh, you know, without a strong relationship in God. And I, I am a wuss when it comes to pain. I really am. Uh, and, and with uh, chronic pain and bone disease and stuff, I'm not that strong when it comes to that. Um, and I, ne I never really have been. Uh, but with developing a, a strong, close relationship with God, God's strength gets me through. So any strength that I have is of God. It's not of me. So see how, see how in certain circumstances, um, no matter how you pray about something that you want, God might just not give it to you because the point of your existence is to glorify God, not glorify yourself. And if the thing you want um, coincides with that, then great, you know, uh, but God's going to make decisions based on his infinite wisdom, not on our um, fallible wants. So, um, so, and I think that's why this, teaching about the, how New Age treats God as an impersonal force. I, I think that this is important because sometimes, unknowingly, we as Christians do that. Now, um, uh, of course, God, God forgives and everything, so it's, not, it's nothing we have to feel like, you, you know, don't let it like ruin your walk or anything, but just it's good to be aware of these things. Um, and so we, we have to start thinking of God as, as, as a father, as a parent, just like there are some things that my kids want, but no matter how they ask, they're just not going to get it because it wouldn't be good for them, even though they really want it and they don't see how it would hurt if they had it, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, like, I don't know, an extra dessert at night or something. They might really want an extra dessert. You know, maybe they want an extra cookie. And, you know, even though I know, you know, one extra cookie probably won't hurt them, but it sets a bad precedent and I don't want them asking for that every night. And eventually uh, the, all that sugar will like be bad. Um, so, so, you know, I, I'll say no, they might think I'm being mean. They might ask me in different ways. You know, they might think that, uh, you know, they might even get mad at me, but regardless how they ask or what their feelings are about it, the answer is no, because it would be bad for them. And um, I can try to explain it to them, but 
you know, a five-year-old is only going to know so much. They're not going to be able to really get it. So it's the same with us and, and God. That, that's why, you know, you have to teach your kids to trust you. That's why, you know, you, you can't just saying, you know, because I said so. I say that to my kids as a, jo- as a joke sometimes because um, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of funny. But but that's not a really good, like, actually, like, parenting technique. It's not because I said so. It's because because you need to trust me. I know what's best for you. Uh, so God is like that with us, too. Um, if we trust in God, then we'll, we, you know, we might not like the answer, but we're not going to hold it against him personally. And we're not going to hold it against ourselves personally either. You know, um, my kid doesn't get the extra cookie, not because he did anything wrong. Uh, you know, he, he could have been great all day. That's why he got dessert in the first place. Uh, but, but it would be bad for him if he, if he had that. So, you know, those kinds of examples can help us out. But now, New Age, on the other hand, and a lot of New Age has crept into the church. I wrote a book about this with Stephen Bancars called Second Coming of the New Age. Just check it out if you haven't had a chance. So what we're going to be talking about today comes from that book. But a lot of New Age practices and beliefs and even just impressions kind of have gotten into the church, and this is one area. So it's popular in the modern world, especially in New Age, to think of God as an impersonal force rather than a personal father. Now, that gets fleshed out in a, a lot of different ways, uh, but how, how often have we heard people, um, you know, even Christians, again, lament that their prayers aren't being answered? Now, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of go through it again. Uh, the way that I explain it in the book is that uh, many times when people feel this way, that it's like they see the prayers of their friends being answered, and but not their own. So that's another aspect to it, too, that I talk about in the book. Sometimes it's not just that our prayers aren't getting answered, but we'll see a friend or a Christian brother or sister. We'll see like their pr- prayers are getting answered, and then we kind of feel a little jealous sometimes about that, or we feel, and we know it's wrong, we don't want to feel that way, but there's a part of us that's like, well, why aren't my prayers getting answered? You know, why didn't it work for me? Uh, they, they, you know, we, we might be inclined to ask. Now, in the secular world, this plays out when people notice that others seem to be accomplishing and achieving more in life. So they'll notice good things happening to less deserving or even bad people and bad things happening to themselves. So it's almost as if there's an unco- uh, a subconscious belief in the uh, principles of uh, fairness, justice, and equality. But those principles are generally believed to be like abstract forces at work in the universe somehow. Um rather than the properties of a divine being. Uh, In New Age, um, spirit guides, ascended masters, and angels are regarded as having personalities, but the overall governing force of the universe is generally seen as lacking personhood. That's kind of how New Age uh, comes at it. So during meditation, uh, the, the goal for the New Ager is... Uh, more to tap into like a universal energy field at the heart of nature uh, rather than to communicate personally with a transcendent creator. Um, If there is any communication at all, it's generally with a spirit being lower in the hierarchical rankings than the all-pervading and personal force of the universe. Um, uh, or, or, or it's, it's like, if there's any communication, it's like a communication with one's own self or now, now what's ironic about this is a personal relationship with that impersonal force. That's actually impossible because it's not a person, meaning it has, even if it did exist, which it doesn't, but even if it did exist, this impersonal force governing everything, it has no awareness, no free will, no rationality. It can't 
reciprocate or interact with you and your intentions. It, it's like turning on a microwave and trying to have a relationship with the frequencies that it emits. Now, that's, that's New Age. Christianity is different. Christianity, biblical Christianity, offers something richer and deeper than trying to tap into some impersonal force or energy field. So the Bible describes a God who is a person, not a force, and who loves his children. Not only a person, but a father, and he loves his children. Now, of course, because we are all subject to our own modern culture at times, Christians can fall into the trap of inadvertently treating God as a force rather than a person. So if God is a force, and if a prayer is answered favorably for one person, then that same prayer, if said in the same way, should be answered the same no matter who utters it, if God is just a force. Action, reaction. But that's not the case. So the fact that that doesn't happen actually lends evidence. It's actually proof that God is personal and makes decisions. So not every prayer uh, is, is going to be answered in the same way. Now, while New Age, along with Satanism and witchcraft, relies on practices to achieve desired results, Christianity actually understands God as a person whom the individual must speak with. So if there's a desire, the Christian is expected to ask God. You know, if you want something, you ask. Now, at that time, God, through his wisdom, may decide to answer the prayer favor favorably, for, from your perspective, favorably or unfavorably. Now, from God's perspective, it's all favorable. Even if you don't like the result that he's giving you, it's still favorable in some way, even if you don't see how. So, in short, uh, prayer is not a, it's not a spell or an in, incantation. Prayer is speaking with God. It's talking with God. If a question is asked, it's up to God how he will answer it or if he'll answer it at all. Now, this is similar, again, like I mentioned before, how, how like a good parent, like a good father interacts with his children. Um, so I, I have five kids altogether, and you know I love them all equally, but I interact with them all in different ways because they're individuals. They each child has his or her own strengths, weaknesses, ways of communicating, all that kind of stuff. So, um, like my my daughter Lily, she's uh, two years old. Verbal communication with her is limited. But I show her that she's loved in a lot of different ways, you know, playing with her, chasing her, around, chasing her around through the house. Now, my oldest daughter, Jacqueline, is much older, so she can understand a lot more um, than Lily or uh, my, my, uh, my other uh, sons, Nathan or Adam. Um, so, you know, for example, Adam is learning things, he's four, he's learning things now that Jacqueline has already learned, her being much older. So, uh, because each child has different interests and ways of looking at the world, communication and interaction are a bit different from child to child. So, Jacqueline communicates way more verbally, um, while, you know, a Adam would rather be doing something to interact with me, like building blocks or something. So um, there are situations in which uh, Jacqueline and Nathan or Jacqueline and Adam could both ask me for the same thing, and I might say yes to one of them, but no to the other. So, for example, uh, Jackie might ask me to stay up an hour past her bedtime. Now, because I've let her do this before, and she's proven that she can uh, get up the next morning without issue uh, if it's a school night, uh, most times I'll tell her yes, unless there's some reason not to. Now, 
If Adam were to ask me that, I would likely say no because of his age and because of his attitude when he doesn't get enough sleep. You know, he's, he's a lot younger. He, he can't really do the extra hour the way that Jackie can. It doesn't mean that he did anything wrong. It doesn't mean that I love Jacqueline more. It only means that they are individuals with their own strengths and weaknesses. So, and usually because um, Adam won't really be able to understand that well why Jackie would get to stay up and not him. Uh, I usually just don't even tell, there's no reason to even tell Adam that Jackie gets to stay up. So imagine if if the next day, if Jackie's telling Adam, yeah, I got to stay up, it was so much fun. Uh, and then Adam would probably have his feelings hurt because he didn't get to stay up and he wouldn't understand why. So he might come and ask me and then then I would explain it to him. But imagine if I wasn't accessible for some reason. Like, imagine if I just wasn't accessible, but I was still able to make decisions in his life. Like, if I, if, you know, the next day he, his feelings are hurt and I, I have to go to work or something. You know, just, I'm not, I'm not there. He can't ask. Well, then he's stuck with those, those feelings. So the reason I bring that up is that that's kind of how it is with us Christians. You know, when we see somebody else's prayers get answered and not our own. We, we think it's something we did wrong, and it might not be. I mean, you might have done everything right. I mean, everybody sins, but you know what I mean. You might have done everything right just for you in your particular situation. That outcome that you're looking for might not be the right one. So that's where trust in God has to come into play. Um, and so that's why, like, uh, Nathan's still learning, the, or Adam's still learning this, but because uh, he's four. Uh, Nathan is older. So he's he's learned more to just trust me with things. So if I say no to him, um, well, he's kind of a sensitive kid. He'll he'll still get his feelings hurt. But Jackie's probably a good example. If if I say no to her, um, she's old enough now to the point where she just trusts me, and she she doesn't really get like upset about it, or she doesn't like get mad at me or anything about it. Um, it's it's just okay, Dad, and it's not a big deal. So it's because as she's grown up, I've I've taught her to just trust me with those things, and sometimes it means I'll explain why things happen. Sometimes I purposely don't explain it just so I can try to teach her, you, you know, you just need to trust me on it. And, and sometimes that's, that's good. So, um, we, we don't always get an answer from God, why he does things, uh, for some people and not for other people or, you know, whatever, but that's where trust comes in. So just as we teach our children to trust us, we want to trust God. Now, according to Christianity, our relationship with our children can serve as an example of how God interacts with us. We all have a personal relationship with God. We're all individuals. God himself is an individual with likes and dislikes. He has his own set of attributes and preferences. Uh, he also knows us better than we know ourselves. So when we pray and talk with him, he communicates with us according to what he knows is best. He might say yes to some of our requests. Other times he might say no. He might speak audibly to one person and not another uh, for various reasons. For, for their, their strengths or your strengths or their weaknesses or your weaknesses. Some people might need an audible voice sometimes while other people may not. There, there, are, there could be individuals where something like that might actually be a deterrent. It might actually affect them negatively in some way. Uh, you know, I mean, there are people that, there are, there are people who, um, that might freak them out. You know, we'll just say that. So God knows everybody. He knows everybody's hearts and he, he, he knows. Um, but this is why at times it, it might not even seem like God's saying anything at all. But to the Christian, God is always there. He's always taking care of us and he's always listening when we speak to him. So the theology of new age spirituality 
um, cannot lead people to the Father who made them because it presents this notion of God that, as we said before, he's no more personal than a microwave. Now, the other end of this is uh, self-godhood. So if New Age believes in this, in this impersonal force thing that they try to commune with, which doesn't make sense, but, but they all, if there is a personal God in New Age, it's the self. And this usually revolves around the question of consciousness. Um, and a lot of times they'll try to steal from quantum physics to, to, to bolster this idea that your own consciousness is your God and like you can manipulate things and you can affect matter and affect the physical world and bring things into existence. That's kind of like word of faith stuff that got into Christianity. Well, that has new age roots. Um, but New Age borrows from everything, um, they, and they borrow from the physics community. So, so one hotly contended, contended question in the physics community is what is consciousness? So, you know, coming up with a working theory of consciousness has proven incredibly difficult, if not impossible. Um, earlier theories that continue to be developed today, there, there are some, such as semi-field theory, which is C-E-M-I, uh, semi-field theory, uh, included the idea that maybe consciousness is an interaction in the electromagnetic field. However, that theory was dismissed because when an electromagnetic field is increased, like inside an MRI machine, a, per a person's consciousness is not affected whatsoever. So um, another theory called quantum brain dynamics suggests that there might exist an as-of-yet-undiscovered quantum field behind consciousness. This one might actually turn out to be true. Now, consciousness is not, in a physical sense, consciousness is not your spirit or your soul. So your spirit or your soul, that's a creation of God. That's, um, I don't understand spiritual physics. Nobody does, you know, because we have no way to test it. We'll, we'll understand when, when we get there. But as of right now, from the physical world, that, that's a big question mark. But on a physical uh, on, on a physical, through a physical lens, like how would consciousness work with the brain in, in, in the physical world? I think QBD or quantum brain dynamics um, is probably a really good contender of, of something that might explain how this works physically. So uh, QBD suggests that a consciousness field, hypothetically called the cortical field, produces particle, particles called corticons. So this theory basically states that consciousness is the interaction between our brains and the cortical field that would be all around us. Now, this isn't so strange. Mass is actually like that. Um, mass is an interaction with the Higgs field. So we think of mass as like like substance, like it's it's here. It is there, but the only reason that mass is what it is is because it's an interaction. So as our bodies pass through the Higgs field, which is all around us all the time, and we're constantly moving. Uh, the universe is constantly moving. You know, the, the, the Earth is spinning. Uh, we're revolving around the sun. Uh, our solar system is revolving around the Milky Way galaxy. The galaxy is moving through the universe, and every everything's moving. So you're always, even if you stand perfectly still, you're always interacting with the Higgs field. Um, so that interaction is mass. As your body passes through the Higgs field, that interaction is mass. So uh, photons, for example, have no mass because they don't interact with the Higgs field. That's all it means. I've always wondered, how can, how can a particle be massless and still exist? It's because mass isn't existence. It's not, like, it's not what we think it is. Um, it can exist because the photon does not interact with the Higgs field 
at all. You would be massless if you didn't interact with the Higgs field. You would still be here. You would still be, you know, here. You just, you would be massless. You would exist, just massless. Okay. Um, anyway, so the idea is consciousness might be like that. There might be a cortical field that we're constantly moving through. And that interaction between our brains and the cortical field is consciousness. Now, it might not be that, but uh, that's one of the leading theories. Now, if that was ever proven true, that would be fascinating. But again, it would not mean souls and spirits within people don't exist. So uh, all of these theories, any other quantum theory of consciousness, any theory would not speak to the spiritual reality of anything. It would only speak to the biological and quantum processes involved in our physical consciousness and consciousness within the physical reality. Um, so that's what science actually has to say about it. But New Age will bother, will, will borrow from that and um, turn it into something spiritual. Now, I'm a Christian and I'm not even, do, like, I'm not doing that with consciousness. Like I said, this, this theory, um, QBD, quantum brain dynamic, if that's, if that's real, it, it has nothing to say about the spirit or the soul. Nothing. It's only physical consciousness. So that's important to know. We, we, we need to not spiritualize things that um, aren't meant to be spiritualized. New Age does this all the time. Now, I'll even go further. If there is a field of consciousness at the lowest, most fundamental levels of nature, there's a major problem. The universe and all its properties began to exist. So if consciousness was inseparable from the universe as a sort of substrata to ground reality, um, this is the kind of thing that New Age says. The issue here is that all, the, the universe and its properties all began to exist at some point. So space, time, matter, energy, and universal consciousness may be fundamental to our universe. Let's grant that they are. Let's just say, for sake of conversation, that they are. All those properties, including this fundamental field at the lowest level of nature, um, began to exist as a part of space-time reality. Because New Age would say that lower level of like conscious field or whatever, that that is the impersonal field of God or something. That that is God. Well, it's only a physical field. So this, this field began to exist sometime. How, how does God begin to exist? Um, whether consciousness is somehow woven into the fabric of reality at a fundamental level or not, it's, it's totally irrelevant to the question of God because reality itself had a beginning and we therefore need to look beyond the universe and all its properties, including universal consciousness, including time, to an external cause outside of time, outside of fields, outside of quantum reality. Now, this field... Um, uh, if it's an, uh, an attribute, a fundamental property of the universe, if it is, um, they, they'll say that like it's the primary substance of the universe. But again, the universe, all its properties, substances began to exist, thus that field began to exist. If consciousness is the substance of the universe, this is what New Age would say, that consciousness is the substance of the universe. They, they say, they'll say like love is the substance of the universe. You know, they'll, they'll say with immaterial things. But but even, even if that is true, it doesn't solve the problem. We still need a transcendent first cause to explain the origin of the universe and all its substances, properties, including the field of universal consciousness. 
But the problem is, even if we grant the existence of a sort of universal field of consciousness that unifies all things at a fundamental level, we are still only describing our space-time universe. It doesn't lead us to God as a supernatural being. In fact, it doesn't lead us to anything beyond the natural world. It, at most, leads us to a better understanding of how God, as, as a supernatural transcendent being, chose to structure the physical universe. That's the only thing it could tell us. Um, actually, uh, John Hagelin, PhD, a major proponent and developer of this theory of consciousness, said in an interview that this field is, quote, the very core of nature, end quote, and, quote, unites gravity with electromagnetism, with radioactivity, with the nuclear force, end quote, as quote, the most concentrated field of intelligence in nature, end quote. So th this theory of universal consciousness was never intended to describe anything beyond nature. It's not a theory of the supernatural. It does not point us to, um, it doesn't point us to anything outside the universe. It only describes the universe. Again, at most, it's a deeper way to understanding the design of the universe, not at all the designer. So even if even if physics uh, could explain consciousness, New Age absolutely will borrow from it, but it's not real. It's not a legitimate borrowing. Um, now, I want to talk about the chaos dragon Leviathan mentioned in Scripture and what it has to do with this idea of God as an impersonal force in New Age. But before we do, um, i got to tell you about Cornerstone Asset Metals. Now, concerning the economically unstable times that we live in, it's a great idea to convert some of your savings into real money. I've, I've even done this. I trust one company to do it. One. Uh, and you know me, especially you if you've been following me for a while. Um, I don't pitch stuff like this very often. Uh, so, But I, I think this is important. This is one company that I trust. Um, there, there's, there's actually a big difference between what we call money, which is actually currency. Uh, so, so our dollar is currency, which fluctuates real money like silver is a store of value over time. So the best way to think of it is like this. If you have saved a thousand dollars in cash back in the late 1960s, that cash, that $1,000, you know, that, that stack of $100 bills you have, it would still be $1,000, but it would buy you significantly less today due to inflation. Now, if you saved that same $1,000 in silver back in the 60s, today uh, it would be around $28,000. Isn't that amazing? So one of the best ways to protect your purchasing power is in real money. So more specifically, silver. Silver is real money. Cash is not. You can, uh, you can buy and have the metals shipped discreetly to your door. And what, what most people don't know is that you can actually convert your IRA or even a 401k into physical silver rather than having all your life savings tied up in the paper fiat system, which is subject to hyperinflation. So you can right now go to dailyrenegade.com and click on the Cornerstone Asset Metals banner and sign up to get your free silver report. Uh, you can ask any questions. One, one of the financial experts will speak with you to find out the best way to protect your savings going forward in these uncertain times. You don't have to know anything. Don't worry about it. It will be uh, that they'll talk to you. So don't feel like you, you have to 
know what you're, when I first got into this, I had no idea what I was talking about. And they're, they're extremely infor, informative. They're very kind. Uh, they, they will uh, explain things. And the great thing is it's not that complicated uh, at all. So uh, dailyrenegade.com, click on Cornerstone uh, Asset Metals. Now, while you're there, get a membership today to watch the rest of this episode where we will be dealing with what Leviathan is and how New Age practitioners may actually be unknowingly worshipping an ancient spiritual dragon of chaos mentioned in the Bible. Memberships are only $10 a month to Daily Renegade or $100 a year, which that's actually the better deal because then you get two months for free. Instead of paying $120 month to month, you know, $120 a year, $100 a year, you technically get uh, two months for free. So you don't only get this show, uh, but you also get all the shows we do, including uh, The Christian Contrarian with Gary Wayne, author of the Genesis 6 Conspiracy, The Christian Marauder with Brian Melvin. Uh, both those guys just have amazing like Bible study stuff. Detox Babylon with Mike Stibbs is uh, another great show we do, and we do so much more. And you can only find these at dailyrenegade.com. So members watching this at Daily Renegade, hang on the line for the rest of this episode. Everyone else watching for free on YouTube or elsewhere. Hope to see you at Daily Renegade. Thank you so much. Take care and God bless.